Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice. It contains God's plan for the family. It also has the truth about life and death. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad that you're with us today. Hope that you're ready to study the Bible for the next 30 minutes uh, because that's all we do on this program is take viewers' questions uh, and answer them from the Bible best we can. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Some people have uh, specific questions or they've been reading and found a verse that they think, what the that mean? Uh, we'll try to explain it to you and some people have some doctrines and other things that they, they just can't believe that's really in the Bible. We'll show you where it is or tell you that it isn't. So uh, we just answer Bible questions. We think that's a great way to know our Bible a little bit better. So call or log in and let us know what you want us to talk about. I'm Steve Tandy and I got a couple gentlemen here that help answer questions each week. Jeff Martin's down there on the end. Good morning. Good morning Jeff. And Toby Levering's in the middle of things. Hi, Hi Toby. Glad you're both here and ready to go. Uh, viewers get our first question every week and see if they uh, know a little something. They get 30 minutes to work on it. So here's your question. Who came in secret to visit Jesus at night? Famous visit and famous conversation. We'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if uh, you know a little bit of a Bible trivia. Looks like Jeff drew the straw today to get started, so get us going. I've got the first one. A viewer wants to know, where does it say that good deeds cover a multitude of sins? And there is a proverb that sounds like this, but I would guess that the viewer is talking about 1 Peter 4, verse 8. So let's look at that together. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, so that's where that verse come from, comes from, but specifically the Apostle Peter in this verse is talking about relationships from one Christian to another uh, and how Christians are to live for God and, and how they're supposed to live for God is to follow the example of Christ. And if we look at the example of Christ in the Gospels, we can see that Christ's love for us, uh, which brought him to his sacrifice, covered, literally covered a multitude of sins. And in following his example, we're supposed to love each other in that way. And it's a love that's freely given, and it's a love that is completely undeserved. That's the example we have as Christians of how we are supposed to, to treat each other. Uh, we can take it a step further and look at the definition of love in the Bible in 1 Corinthians, and we can see that love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Uh, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in truth, and love never fails. So we can see what the definition of love is in the Bible, and when we love based on that definition, if it were a perfect world and Christians were able to love each other just like this, then there, were, there are many sins that come from the, the natural friction of relationships that would no longer be a problem. Uh, so again, that particular verse comes from, that the viewer is talking about, comes from 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Okay. Uh, viewers looking for a verse about 
taking care of the planet. Where does it say we are to be good stewards of the earth? Well, that's a famous uh, thought. A lot of people that are into ecology and uh, thinking about global warming and everything else uh, believe that Christians are supposed to be stewards of the earth and uh, talk about it that way. There's only two verses that really get close to that, and one of them is a little bit counter to that almost. Uh, let's look at them. Genesis 2, verse 15 uh, says, In the beginning the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. So Adam and Eve had some work to do. It uh, wasn't toilsome work at that point. Uh, probably was rather pleasant and enjoyable, uh, but they were assigned to watch over the garden, take care of things there. And then the next verse is in uh, Genesis 1:28, a little bit before that one, Adam and Eve were created. Here's what God told them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, God said, Man's in charge. Uh, you fill the earth up, you subdue it, you have dominion over all the other parts of creation. And today, uh, stewards of the earth has kind of been turned around to where uh, everything else has dominion over man. Uh, we're supposed to protect everything else and make sure no little uh, creature possibly dies and, and all of that. Uh, I'm not being anti-conservationist. Uh, I believe in taking care of things and uh, leaving things clean and taking care of the earth in that sense. But we have moved beyond what God said. Uh, we have moved to, re when we remove God from the equation, uh, then we've got to protect the earth. Uh, we are the saviors of the planet. Uh, we worship the earth in many ways. And you see that in current events that uh, lots of people are wanting to save the planet and think we're the only ones that can do that. Uh, we don't have that power. Uh, God is going to destroy the earth when he's ready to destroy the earth, no matter uh, how hard we work at saving it. Uh, yes, we ought to be conservationists and good citizens and not litter and all of that, uh, but the steward of the earth uh, concept has moved beyond what the Bible talks about uh, us subduing and having dominion over the earth uh, to man being subservient to Mother Earth and making Earth really a god or goddess. So a uh, little problem there, and I know our viewer didn't ask all that, uh, but the Bible does not advocate uh, the kind of stewardship uh, that we're often seeing these days. So the Bible mentions it but in a little different way than a lot of folks think today. All right, uh, yeah. Toby, easy Question. one here. <laughs> <laughs> why did God create Satan? Um, well, anytime we get into those why God questions, it is always going to be basically speculation unless the Bible specifically tells us why God did something. Uh, the questions uh, surrounding rather the origins of 
uh, Satan himself, and where he came from, and why he exists, and what his purpose is. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of answer or insight into that. We read in Genesis, of course, he's right there at the beginning, uh, taking the form of a serpent, and uh, that's how he's referred to in the beginning and at the end, uh, that ancient serpent who's always seeking to thwart God's plan. But the viewer asked the question, well, where did he come from? Why did God create this being that we call Satan? And the Bible really doesn't give us a lot of insight. There are some people who take scriptures from Isaiah 14 and uh, Ezekiel 28 and, and apply them towards Satan. If we look at those in context, it seems as, those, as though those are prophecies concerning the king of, ancient king of Babylon and the king of Tyre. So we take that with a grain of salt when you see people interpreting scripture that way. Um, as far as why he is created, he is clearly an angel of some sort. Angels are servants of God. At some point, then we basically get here into the field of speculation. Uh, we presume that he was created to serve God in some capacity. And we know from scriptures in Jude uh, and Matthew 25 that angels have some ability, to, they have free will the ability to obey God or not, like we do. And God punishes those angels that disobey or rebel or sin against him. So we piece that all together. We, we say, well, Satan was some sort of, of created being, and God doesn't create anything evil. So at some point along the way, uh, Satan had to use his free will to rebel or defy the living God, and God punished him, and Satan's been at it uh, from Genesis, the book of Job, all the way through the Gospels, uh, from, you know, in, in, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, there at the end in the garden. Um, but the good news is, though he's there, uh, the Bible speaks very clearly that he has been defeated. And um, let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. It says this, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So we don't know much about the origins of Satan, but we absolutely uh, know his ending. And the Bible is very clear on that. So uh, interesting speculation, but the scripture doesn't give us a lot of insights into the, that answer. All right. Let's talk about studying the Bible together, uh, not just on this program, but a partnership between uh, some of our uh, helpful things that we have and you're studying the Bible in your home. Uh, we've got some tools that we will send you uh, absolutely free of charge to help you be a better Bible student, help you know your Bible. Here's eight lessons that are, uh, start off with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Helps you understand the difference in those two big parts of the, your Bible. Once you get through those eight, we'll uh, graduate you on to some other courses if you want to keep studying. Uh, we've got some more detailed studies that are a little longer and go into the life of Jesus and the book of Acts, the beginning of the church, uh, lots of interesting studies. You can study for quite a while, and as you can see, we pay the postage both ways. So uh, absolutely no charge to you. If you'd rather not do it on paper and like uh, online things, we've got that also. Log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. They'll fix you up with some online studies 
of the Bible, great way to study the Bible digitally. So um, try any of those options and study the Bible with us here at Know Your Bible. Uh, we just advocate home Bible study and want you to know your Bible a little better. So those are all the ways we've got to help you. Let us, uh, let us be a partner with you there. All right, uh, Jeff. Classic moral question here. Yes, and, and this is yep. This is interesting. The first half is easy, and then you add the second half, and it gets a little complicated. Would it be a sin to lie to protect someone's life? Uh, so first of all, the Bible nowhere presents an instance where lying is considered a righteous thing. Uh, in fact, in Proverbs six sixteen through nineteen we find that lying is something that God hates. So let's look at that together. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are, are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Uh, so it's very obvious, if, if you look at the first part of the viewer's question, would it be a sin to lie? Uh, the answer is yes, lying is a sin. That being said, there are times in the Bible where followers of God lie to do righteous things um, in dangerous situations. The most famous one is in Exodus. Pharaoh uh, told the midwives to kill all of the male babies. And they lied and said they couldn't because the Hebrew women were so vigorous in childbirth. Which again, this was an outright lie. But if you look at Exodus 1.21, you can see that God blessed them um, with families for protecting his people. So their motivation was to protect the people and they showed allegiance to a God that they feared to do so. Uh, you can also look in Joshua 2.5 and find a similar story. Uh, where Rahab lied to protect the Israelite spies, again with a positive outcome. So, if you find yourself in a situation where you are showing allegiance to God in order to protect someone's life in a desperate situation from a great evil, uh, then I think you should consider uh, not telling the truth in that particular instance. Uh, however, anything less than that uh, it is a lie, and again, it's something that we can see obvious in that is obvious in the Bible that that God hates. Thank you, Jeff. We were joking last week about there are so many questions that you can answer with one word. Yes, that one's not one of them. No, no it's, it's not. not. <laughs> you can talk about that one for all day and yeah. not quite get it settled yeah. because uh, it's it's kind of tricky. But I think Jeff's conclusion there is right. If you ever get in that situation, that specific the, situation, the, the trick is we hardly ever get in that situation. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. We lie to protect somebody's reputation or protect our uh, uh, ego, or we we lie for all sorts of reasons. But that's the way that we're the Hebrew midwives were saving lives. Yeah. Yes, and uh, we rarely get in that situation. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've had some people that, on that question, they say, nope, Proverbs says God hates a liar, so lying's wrong, no matter what. Uh, and my response is, if I ever get in a situation where a lie would save somebody's life, mm -hmm. I mean, if the Nazis are knocking at the door and 
the, the Jews are hiding in the attic. Uh, I'm going to lie <laughs> and count on grace. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a, like I said, a classic moral question deciding mm-hmm. which way to go on that. That's but Well, one. and there, there are exceptional circumstances, <laughs> you know, like you brought up with, you know, Rahab and, and, and the, 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 the Midi or the the women giving birth, um, there there are these exceptional circumstances. Those don't dictate the the standard, the the general idea that line. That God wants what's yes. what's true, mm-hmm. uh, and God's going to decide those situations, and he he'll decide it exactly correctly. So that's right. You know, Steve, when the Nazis come, you're you're, you're going to be okay probably. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Doubt if I get in that situation. All right, let's see. In my turn here, viewer says in Ephesians 5:19, the word psalms means to play a stringed instrument. So, instrumental music in worship is approved. Uh, Some of our new time viewers might say, "What in the world is that all about?" Uh, Churches of Christ who provide this program for you uh, sing a cappella music in worship. We do not use an instrument in worship. Uh, some people find that very unique and odd, uh, <clears throat> and some people try to find all sorts of reasons that we shouldn't be doing that. So here's one viewer that has found a reason uh, that you ought to use instruments in music. Okay, a uh, little background. Uh, for over a thousand years, all Christians uh, anywhere uh, sang a cappella. That was the way they worshipped God when they got together to worship. They didn't have instruments. Uh, Instruments were available. Uh, The church was made up of Jews who were used to instrumental music. Uh, It was made up of pagans who were used to instrumental music in worship. When they began the church, uh, they stopped using instruments. Uh, I think there was a reason for that. But anyhow, for over a thousand years, that's the way they did things. Uh, then people started adding instrumental music to worship. And when that happened, the argument was, how can you possibly do that? Where do you get scriptural authority to use an instrument? Okay, Enough people went ahead and did it that now it seems a little unique. Uh, Churches of Christ, uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church, still a cappella. A number of other people still use a cappella music. Uh, and a cappella, by the way, means church music uh, of the chapel. Uh, so that's <clears throat> singing church music is without an instrument. Uh, but anyhow, enough people added instruments to Christian worship that now the argument became instead of how could you possibly allow an instrument, uh, the now the argument, like our viewer says here, is how could you possibly prohibit it? Uh, You've got to add an instrument. Uh, it's not right to sing a cappella. Well, uh, I'm not sure why people get so defensive about Churches of Christ just doing what the Bible says, but uh, our viewers got a classic verse here that a lot of people point to. It's one of the uh, pro instrument arguments, and the argument is that in Ephesians 5:19, where it says to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The word psalm from the Old Testament uh, included in the thinking of it uh, plucking a stringed instrument as you sing the psalm, uh, accompanied with a harp or something like that. 
So our viewers read that. Uh, they're pointed out what that word means, and they say, okay, that word means to pluck or play a stringed instrument. Aha! <laughs> Instrumental music is mandatory, uh, or at least okay. Um, let's do this. Let's play like <laughs> psalms means, the word psalm means you got to play an instrument. Now, it doesn't. It just means that's what they did, and singing a psalm is singing the words of a psalm. But let's play like it. Let's read that verse again, Ephesians 5.19, and see exactly what it says. <clears throat> Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Three different kinds of vocal music. Singing, and where do you make the melody? On the harp? No. Paul says you make melody with your heart, not the stringed instrument. So even the argument that that word psalm might mean they played a harp when David sang the psalms, uh, Paul straightens that out and says you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and you make the melody in your heart. So uh, that verse may have some connection to an Old Testament word that played a harp with it, but that's not what Paul's saying. He says, you sing spiritual songs and make melody in your heart. So it uh, doesn't prove instrumental music is mandatory or uh, even authorized for that matter. All right, Toby. Okay, uh, the question is, if God is a spirit and not physical, how were we created in the image of God? <clears throat> uh, my answer to that is that because God did that. That's what the scripture tells us, uh, that God breathed into us. Of course, human beings are physical and, and have a physical body that God created. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 reads this way, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. So there's the physical aspect, okay? But Adam wasn't yet alive. It says... He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. One of the words there for breath uh, is pneuma, the idea of spirit. There is something, to, if you've ever been to a funeral, you understand that there can be a body, but that body's not alive. That person that you see there is not really that person. That's just, that's just the physical part of them, but the, the true essence of them, their spirit, their soul, has departed. That is what makes the difference. And so God creates us in his image, meaning that we are spiritual beings, that there's a part of us that has an eternal nature. It's what the part where God breathed into us, not talking about just the physical breath, but the, the spirit of us that he, uh, that, uh, is eternal and ongoing in nature. So um, that's perfectly something that God can do being a spiritual being, which is of course what Jesus said in the book of John, that God is spirit. Um, but human beings are created as physical beings with uh, spirit in them so that when the physical passes away, there is an eternal part of us that goes on, and Scripture speaks to that as well. But that is uh, 
how we are created because God's God and he is able to take uh, the physical beings and give them an eternal nature, which is what he did with human beings. I uh, hope that helps. All right. Let me take just a second to encourage you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, Church of Christ produced this program, keep us on the air, and uh, we like to mention some each week. There's a couple of congregations uh, in central Kansas, uh, Emporia, Kansas, and Eureka, Kansas. Both have uh, great little congregations of the Church of Christ that support this program. And if you live in one of those neighborhoods, uh, drop in and visit them sometime. Or maybe you know somebody uh, that attends one. Tell them that you watch Know Your Bible and you appreciate the program. I got a very nice email the other day from a fellow that lives in Eureka and said he watches the program, records it, and watches it all the time. It's very helpful. Uh, he needs to know there's a Church of Christ that uh, helps keep this program on the area right in his town uh, on Main Street. So drop in and give him a visit sometime. All right, Jeff, language question. Yes, uh, <laughs> viewer wants to know what language did Jesus speak? Uh, and, and initially I'd say whatever language he wanted to. So Jesus was God. He was the Son of God, so he wouldn't have any kind of issues communicating. Um, he could do that miraculously. Many signs and wonders. That being said, most scholars believe that Jesus spoke Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek, and that Aramaic was probably the language that he used the most. And we see a few different instances of this in the Bible uh, where Jesus is speaking Aramaic words. Let's look at a few of those instances. We have Mark 7:34. He uses the word ephatha, which means be opened. Uh, Mark 5:41. He uses talitha kum, which means little girl arise. And Mark 15:34. He uses Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of those are Aramaic words. So while the Bible does not say specifically, um, most believe that Jesus spoke Aramaic. Yeah, it's interesting to think about what they had to do in those days to get by. I mean, they the, had no Hebrew to mm -hmm. study the old scriptures and mm -hmm. talk to the rabbis and all that. Uh, and there were enough Greek influence that you had to know some of that to, yeah. to get by. And well, Jesus got by in all those circles, so he, he yeah. probably knew quite a few of them. Pretty educated, yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, question uh, we get very uh, off and on people want to know did Mary have other children beside Jesus uh, that's another one of those one-word questions the answer is yes she had other children uh, the Bible's pretty specific about it uh, Jesus's neighbors that grew up with him uh, answered the question directly in Mark chapter 6 and verse 3 Jesus came back to the town of Nazareth and the people there when they were listening to him speak said, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Jesus and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? Uh, so they recognized Jesus when he came back to town. Uh, they said, we know him. He grew up here and he's got four brothers and at least a couple of sisters and Mary was their mother. So. Uh, yes, and I know there are some uh, groups that teach no, she was a perpetual virgin and try to attribute that verse to uh, stepchildren or uh, adopted children or something else, but uh, there's no indication of that in the Bible. Uh, Mary did have other children after she had Jesus. All right, we're about out of time here, but let's get our trivia question answered. 
And that question is, who came in secret to visit Jesus at night? Famous story, uh, Nicodemus was the fellow. He was uh, a very important person, and he was afraid the other important people would see him talking to Jesus. He didn't uh, want that known, so he kept it secret. And Jesus talked to him about being born again. I'm glad you were with us today. We hope you come back next week to hear some more of your questions. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.